Welcome to the MentalCast, powered by Soul Performance Academy, and I'm your host, Dan Mickle. MentalCast is a weekly podcast dedicated to the discussions around mental performance, coaching, and other great topics for life learners. For more information, visit danmickle.com and 717soul.com. And you can always reach the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 717soul. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mental Cast. I'm your host, Dan Mickle, and today we are going to have a special chat with Brent Magnuson, who is a former U.S. Army engineer, a professional speaker, and author of the book Roger Up, which I believe just came out. And uh, I'm going to let Brent take it away and give a little bit of his bio so he can do it a bit more justice than I can. So welcome, Brent, and give us a little background. Absolutely, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Uh, real pleasure to get to uh, speak to your listening audience. Uh, like you said, uh, I'm sure I could give some long drawn out bio. Uh, I used to be an army guy. I was a combat engineer. And after that, I did a little contracting. After that, in a private security capacity. After that, uh, started being a little more entrepreneurial. And a few years ago, started writing. And uh, we just put out the book, Roger Up. And for those of you that don't know what Roger Up means, I'm sure you've heard Roger that or copy that, which is essentially confirming a transmission. Roger Up is the same in the civilian world as suck it up, embrace the suck, man up, woman up. Basically when uh, all odds are against you and things just seem too overwhelming, physically or mentally, you actually have 20 to 30% more that you can actually tap into and uh, it's in the Army where we embrace that Roger Up mantra, and I thought it would be a, a good title for a book, and we cover a lot of things in the book pertaining to that mantra, Roger Up. Awesome. And you also sit on the board, right, for the Resilient Warrior Foundation? I do. I'm very proud to sit on the board for, the, for RWF. Resilient Warrior Foundation is a uh, and I'm sure we can talk about it a little more in depth, but very briefly, we're a 501c3 organization that serves United States veterans and first responders who suffer from PTSD they acquired uh, during their service to this amazing country. And this being uh, Veterans Day coming up in a few days here, Veterans Week, if you will, uh, it's never been more important to shine light on that. And what we do as an organization is we, we provide scholarships, but it, essentially what we do is we pay for each person's jujitsu at any jiu-jitsu school or academy of their choice anywhere in the United States. We pay their monthly jiu-jitsu tuition uh, and allow them to train and the benefits of jiu-jitsu for anyone, including uh, my nine-year-old stepdaughter up to a 65-year-old or 70-year-old person. The, the benefits of jiu-jitsu are, are truly endless, but uh, specifically with the veteran or first responder or anyone for that matter suffering with PTSD, anxiety, depression, any mental health issues that are debilitating. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu is a tremendous tool in combating and, and fighting those. And uh, we could probably touch on that a little later, but yeah, it's an amazing thing. And I'm really, uh, really honored to be able to sit on the board of Resilient Warrior Foundation. Awesome, yeah, I definitely wanna circle back. Um, I currently work with USA Volleyball and our Para Beach uh, athletes, preparing them hopefully for LA when para beach volleyball will be added in but a lot of ours are you know wounded warriors and and people that have had some injuries during serving and it really as someone who hasn't served it's been really awesome to learn like what they went through what they're going through and and just the resilience and some of the things and, and some of the great things like 
your organization are doing for them, you know, most people don't even know about. And I think that's definitely something we should touch on. Um, let's just dive right into it. Um, I know you have a lot of topics that you talk about, but the one that really stuck out to me was the circle of influence. And I wonder if you could just kind of dive into that a little bit by, you know, what you mean about the circle of influence and, and how you bring that about and, and some key points on that. Absolutely. Dan, very few people get excited about <laughs> circle of influence. And I'm so glad you said in the book, that's what stood out to you. There are, and I'm obviously speaking from a male perspective, there are a whole host of things in the book that are probably a lot more sexy um, to the average male, like becoming Jason Bourne or um, some of the stuff in there almost touching on game when it comes to meeting and talking to uh, women. Even some of the other stuff with uh, uh, morning routines or goal setting could probably be a little more sexy than circle of influence. But uh, I'm glad you mentioned it because it's arguably the most important thing in the book. And really what circle of influence is, if you haven't heard that term before, I didn't coin it. I don't know who I stole it from, but thank you, whoever that was. Uh, basically what it means is who are you hanging out with? Who are the five people you're spending the most time with that are not your husband, wife, kids, mom, dad, aunt, uncle, so on, not your family. Who are the five people that you surround yourself with? Because at the end of the day, I am a firm believer and I subscribe to this 100%. I am all chips in on the table on this, this idea that we are the average of our five closest friends. And being a little older at 44 and having had different circles, whether they were growing up in martial arts, in school, in athletics, in the military, um, living in different states, living in different countries, meeting different people, getting into entrepreneurship, getting into speaking, getting into writing. I've had so many different circles and I've, I've really experienced that. And I think it's certainly true that in many cases, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And conversely, if you're hanging around with five not so awesome people, um, it's even worse. Because if you're, if you're hanging around with, and again, speaking from a male perspective, if you're hanging around with five guys that spend uh, three times more time at the bar than they do at the gym, you're, you're, it's only a matter of time until you're number six. If you're hanging out with, with five guys that have no focus on making more than 50 grand a year, have no focus more than just when they get to go out on a Friday night and have a few beers with the boys, it's only a matter of time until you're number six. But on the other side of that coin, if you start surrounding yourself with people that are crushing it, I mean, if you want to hang out, if you want to be fit, hang out with fit people. If you want to be smart, hang out with smart people. If you want to learn how to manage your money, hang out with five guys or five gals that are financial planners and are actually walking the walk and not just using that as an Instagram or a Facebook post. Hang out with people that are doing what you want to do at a high level and hang out with people that have what you want. And when you start applying that, and again, it's not as easy as just saying it, but when you actually start applying it and you actually start, and we dive into how to actually do that and take action, but when you actually start doing that, your life changes so dramatically, it's, it's scary and, and it's amazing. So I definitely don't want to steal any thunder from the book and, and you know, reveal any big secrets, but can you do, 
multiple circles. You know, obviously we have our, our main circle, the five people outside of our family that are in all aspects of your life. But do you suggest people maybe also doing the circles for specific areas? Like these are my five people at work that I want to hang around with. And, you know, maybe one of them might trickle into your overall life circle, but is it okay to do those smaller groups per, you know, whether you're on a team or at work or, you know, at school, just working kind of doing smaller circles? Absolutely. And it, and very few people ask that and talk about that. And it's so awesome you brought it up. So the way I talk about that, and I do believe in other circles, I believe in having multiple circles, but think of the movie Meet the Fockers and De Niro has his circle of trust and it's very regimented. He's a crazy old CIA guy and it's either you're in the circle, or you're out. There's no gray area. You're pregnant or you're not. It's very black and white. Um, well, it's, maybe I shouldn't use that term. It's a hot topic right now. But anyways, I digress. We, we, uh, we get it. I think we'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Essentially, what I'm saying is you're going to have your, say you're in uh, sales, you have an office job, you're going to have three or four or five people there that you spend time with, that you go out to lunch with once or twice a week, that you just hang out with. They're your work people. And many of us that have normal nine to five or eight to six jobs spend more time with our coworkers actually than we do with our family. So you're going to develop those. Um, and then that's not even factoring in all of your extracurricular activities. If you uh, do a sport, if you're in a softball league, if you study Brazilian jiu-jitsu, if you're in a, uh, I'm a, I'm a Freemason as well. So I have like my jiu-jitsu people that I spend time with. I have my Freemason brotherhood that I spend time with. I have my family. And then I have like all the people in my world of like professional speakers and authors so yeah, I have to juggle all those. And you're absolutely right. There are going to be times where people from those other circles, they, they kind of morph or get into that main circle of five. And, um, and I think it's an awesome thing because the, the more circles you have, kind of like part-time circles, you can pull from those. It's almost like a beautiful recruiting tool and that you can pluck and say, okay, you know what? Jimmy's been solid. He's been in my work circle for two years. He's crushing it on every level. He's a, he's a good husband. He's a good dad. He produces well at work. You know, he's got his stuff together. I want to, I want to bring him into this circle of five and, 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 and use him in a beneficial way to help both of us level up and be better people. And uh, so, yeah, I think that's really important. And I think it's, it's applicable to every walk of life. I think it's great that you hit on the, the Freemason part. As, as a Freemason myself, um, my story was kind of weird in the fact that my um, grandfather was a Freemason, but, you know, he didn't really talk about it much. And, and my father never, or I'm sorry, my great-grandfather, and then my father and my grandfather didn't really follow that path. And it was probably 15 years ago, I just started to really think about life and why there were always a certain style of person around my great-grandfather. When, when I thought about the memories of my great-grandfather and what he did and who he surrounded with, it was like there was a quality of those people. And, and I realized that that's what drove me to become a Mason. And I, I reached out to his lodge and said, hey, look, this was my great-grandfather. My father didn't do it. I don't know anyone. Um, you know, and I ended up doing it. And and ironically, then my father ends up joining and becomes a virtual master. Like it, it, it's the whole cycle continues again. 
but <clears throat> now that you're putting it in that whole circle of influence, it makes sense to me. My, my great-grandfather surrounded me, surrounded himself with people that made him better. And, and I think that's what I was striving to do. And that's eventually what I did. You know, joining my lodge and all that was really about just surrounding myself by people that would make me better. And I think that's definitely something that's lacking. Um, oh, yeah. And I didn't know you were a Freemason. So this, <laughs> it, this interview just got even more awesome. And we, we won't not only maybe bore, but completely lose the vast majority of your listening audience with all of the intricacies of this well over 300 year uh, secret society, or as I like to say, a society, society with secrets. secrets. <laughs> but um, I will just touch on, on Freemasonry, Freemasonry very briefly because it's been a really important tool for me. And, I, and if you talk to any veteran out there, and I can speak from experience, the number one thing, I don't care what guy, what gal you talk to, if they just got out two years ago, or if it's a World War II veteran, Korean War veteran, whoever, the number one thing, if you ask them, what do you miss from the military? It's not the grenades and the guns and the beer and the whatever. It is the camaraderie. That one word, camaraderie, is the number one thing we all miss the most. Knowing that guy on my right, on my left, and on my six, I could know him for two weeks, two months, two years. It doesn't matter. If we're downrange and we're in a tight spot, I know that guy has my six. And it's an amazing thing, not to mention all of the suffering and pain and hard training you go through together. That builds a band of brothers. And going through that suck and that adversity together is something really special. And that's why, you know, I've been out of the military for quite some time. And I talk to a lot of guys still on a regular basis that I served with. Um, and it's like, even though we're all over the world, it's like we never left each other's side. And I've been chasing that camaraderie for 15 plus years. And I can tell you the two closest things I have found, and it's never gonna be the same. It's never gonna be at that level 10 that the army gave me, but the two things I have found that have got the close to, closest to that are Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and just about two years ago when I became a Freemason. Um, those are the two things that I have found and it's probably because of the hardship and the brotherhood that I have in jujitsu. And it's because of the structure and the brotherhood that I have in, in, in Freemasonry. And uh, it's an amazing thing. And we are not an organization that goes out and advertises and promotes ourselves. Um, and that's fine. There's a, a very you know, strong saying that you know, to become one, you must ask one. Um, well, you can go ahead and ask me. My email address is brentmagnuson at gmail.com. The name of my book is Roger Up. I have testimonials from five master masons in my lodge that wrote in the book what becoming and being a mason is to them. Uh, our biggest saying is we make good men better. I can tell you I've become a better man since joining. And uh, if you have any questions about that, go to your local lodge, go to Google, type in Freemason Lodge near me, call, email, inquire, and best of luck to you on your journey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you summed it up great because that's exactly how I felt. It, it's been, I'm going to say 15 years now for me, but what it really did was it just, it focused me. And, you know, some of our meetings are like everything else. Like I'm, I'm 46 I'm really not thinking about, you know, the Masonic retirement homes or anything like that, but I still go to those meetings because I want to be around those people. 
I want to hear the stories. I want to get their advice. And, and just the balance, you know, that those meetings give me is amazing. Um, and, and it's, I, I was going to ask you, this ties in great, because I think this ties in military-wise. <clears throat> you know, we hear all the things like the discipline of the military and, and the leadership of the military. But, but for me as an outsider and, and talking with people now and, and the work that I'm doing now, I feel like the, the structure that the military gives you and the, the, the goals that you have in the military is really what makes the military. Um, and, and I'm sure, you know, the other thing that you talk about with your blueprint is the morning, your morning routine. And again, I, what I know about the military is through movies and documentaries. I'm, you know, a history channel junkie, but like the simple act of making your bed every morning, you know, a lot of people don't do that in real world. And, and again, something that simple sets the tone for that career you know it's probably one of the first things you do or that very first day you get off the bus at you know wherever you're going you realize oh man i'm going to be regimented but that's what actually gets you on that path do you feel like the the time management of the organization is probably the biggest benefit of the military the biggest thing and it's one of the biggest things structure wise in in, in freemasonry too and you you hit on something so important and like I actually enjoy making the bed. I legitimately make the bed every single morning. I'm sure I've missed some mornings. I, I'm not that guy, but 99% of the time within three minutes of waking up, that bed is made and it's made well. And it, it seems like such a simple thing, but one of the biggest things in the military we focus on, I remember in the nine weeks of basic training, my first nine weeks in the army, every single morning, we would scream multiple times. We get more done before 9 a.m. than most people do all day. And yes, we were drinking the Kool-Aid. Yes, it was some beautiful brainwashing. Yes, it was all of that, but it was also breaking us down and rebuilding us in this disciplined, structured fashion and, and letting us know like you have no flipping clue how much potential you have. And most of the people that you see out there crushing it, guys like Tony Robbins and, and Gary Vee and a lot of these other people, specifically in the entrepreneurial space, if you will, these people are getting more done before 9 a.m. than most people do all day. And it comes down to a few simple core principles, and that is task completion. The more task completions you have and how efficient and effectively you go through and about those task completions in the morning. For example, the first three things I do when I wake up is I, I smile. Before I get out of bed, I smile. It's something I, I picked up on a few years back and I've dropped that on so many people and it's changed so many people's lives and mornings because it's the easiest thing in the world to do. And it's unfortunately something as human beings, most of us don't do enough. I mean, just think about it. When's the last time, and I'm not putting you on the spot, Dan, but honestly, like, When's the last time you woke up and before you got out of bed, before you looked at your phone, before you got a glass of water, laying there, your eyes just open, when's the last time you just smiled for 15 or 20 seconds? I, not to sound like a junkie, but it's, it's almost every day for me too. And, and that comes from, you know, following Michael Gervais and, and going down the performance psychology path of what I do. Um, you know, their big thing is the very first thing you do when you open your eyes is think of one thing of gratitude. And, and that's, that's literally the first thing I do. Same thing before I get the water, before I get out of bed, I'm just laying there. I take a deep breath in 
and I just think of something that I'm very grateful for. Okay, um, well, you just ruined my whole pitch, so thank you. <laughs> um, no, so with the exception to your listening audience of Dan Mickle, <laughs> the vast majority of us, uh, that's awesome, by the way. This is some, uh, some high-level verbal jousting we're doing here. I love it. But when I go out and speak, whether it's to 50 people or 500 people, I will ask that question because a lot of times we're, we're talking about some aspect of a morning routine and it all kind of comes back to how you start the day. And I'll ask people, regardless of crowd size, be honest. When's the last time you woke up and the first thing you did was smile big for 15 seconds like you just fell in love again or you just hit the lottery? And most of the time, no one raises their hand. So there's a reason you're doing all the stuff you're doing. There's a reason you have this podcast and, and you're fortunate that you got that advice or you saw someone doing that and, and, and you were turned on to it, unfortunately. And it didn't hit me until probably 40 or 41. I'm 44 years old. And I get so excited about this stuff because if I can pass that on to some cat who's 18 or 22, like what's it going to do for them? And if that's the first thing you do, it changes your psychology. It shifts your whole physiology and your body is now thinking, even if you had the shittiest day yesterday and the worst night's sleep, for some reason we're smiling, which means something positive must be happening. So let's get out of bed. Next thing I do when I get out of bed is I make the bed and I make it well. I make it like I'm back in basic training and I know some crazy lunatic drill sergeant is gonna come by and try and bounce a dime off of it. And I'm gonna get critiqued for 22 minutes on how I make a bed like a this, that, and the other. And, and, it, and it's important because that's the first task I completed. I've actually completed two tasks now. I've smiled and shifted my psychology. Two, I've made the bed. Three, I'll, I'll drink some room temperature water. And now I've rehydrated my body that's been without water for six, eight, nine hours, whatever it's been. And the last thing I just want to say real quick, I'm a big quote guy. And there's a lot of quotes out there that have a lot of fluff. But you talked about making the bed. And the best way I've heard it summed up is from a former Navy Admiral, William McRaven. He was the former head of JSOC, which is the Joint Special Operations Command. He's a lifelong Navy SEAL. And he said, if you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. It will give you a small sense of pride and it will encourage you to do another task and another and another. By the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. Making your bed will also reinforce the fact that the little things in life matter. And just something so simple as making your flipping bed in the morning can shift your whole day and it can affect how you treat your family, how you interact with people at work, how you interact with people at Starbucks, in traffic, how you manage your stress. All of that stuff can start with just smiling and making the bed. And uh, it's a pretty incredible thing. So do you think that some of the struggles of people coming out of the military and post-military is the lack of structure in the world? Like, how hard was that for you coming out of the military into this world where, you know, you don't have that drill sergeant or you don't have that person above you, you know, drilling down you everything that you're supposed to do that day and you're kind of out on your own. Is that a tough adjustment for someone to make coming out of the military? Yeah, the transition is incredibly difficult. And, and certainly everyone has their own story, their own experience. Um, we all take in and, and process information differently. We all manage stress differently. But one of the, one of the things the military, and I, I speak specifically about the Army because that's, 
that's my family. Um, the Army does an amazing job of training you up. And when you're, especially when you're attached to a combat unit, you are training with these alphas, these terminators, these, these just, I mean, the people that don't make the news that I assure you, every American is blessed and should be proud to know these guys exist and they are going out there at two or three in the morning in some of the worst places on planet earth. And not only going out there and doing some good for God and country, but they're enjoying it. They're operating at the tip of the spear. Guys like Jason Redman, who spent 21 years in the SEAL team. He's a, a very good friend. He wrote the forward to my book. Guys like him going out there, putting it all on the line, operating it. I mean, these guys are like terminators, just operating at the highest level. And when you're around guys like this for, you know, I just, re I remember after my first deployment to Bosnia in 98, coming back from that and being like, wow, like these are not normal 20, 22, 25 year old guys, the, 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 this isn't normal. Like I know, and this is nothing against any of my friends, but I know what most of the guys back home just outside of Chicago are doing. They're drinking the same beer and they're whistling at the same girls. And I'm, I'm running around with a different level of person and it doesn't make anyone better than anyone. But when you're around people like that, it's like going back to that circle of influence. You do not have a choice. You have, you are forced to level up. And by surrounding yourself and being around people like this for two years, four years, 10 years, whatever amount of time you do in the military, and then to get out and not be around people like that, not have that structure, essentially not have that mission. And even if you're training or you're deployed or whatever it is, there's always a mission. If you're not deployed, you're training for that deployment and you're training hard because you fight the way you train. So you may, you may know you're deploying in, in, in six months. You're going to spend six months, six days a week, 12 hours a day training for every possible scenario and having a contingency plan for every possible scenario. And when you don't have that anymore, and especially when you don't have that framework and that structure of those leadership people in there essentially guiding you along on what the next mission is. And <clears throat> it's very, very difficult to adjust. And that's why stuff like jujitsu is so beneficial because you get to do hard things. You get that sense of accomplishment. You get to learn, relearn how to manage stress and, and deal with all these different things. You learn reprocessing again and, to touch on masonry again. There's a reason there's only 6 million Freemasons in the world. And that's a rough number. Um, I'm in the state of Illinois. There's just over 53,000 Freemasons in the state of Illinois. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason that there's only one or 2% of the population that served in the military. There's a reason that only a certain amount of people train jujitsu. And I'm not saying this because I've done these things or do these things. I'm saying that if it was that easy, everyone would do it. If it was that easy to get a black belt in jujitsu, everyone would do it, but they don't because it takes 10 years and a ton of work to do it. Uh, people have their reasons for not joining the military. People have their reasons for not becoming a Freemason. Maybe they don't know anything about it, but doing these things that force you to, to, to do hard things and force you to be structured is, is so important. And that's why I'm constantly preaching about this stuff because Again, from a male perspective, there's so many young cats out there that, that don't know about these things. And 
it's amazing that I have platforms like this, like your podcast, radio, all these other things I can talk on to, to get this out there because people need to know about this stuff. So that leads, I guess, to the next component of everything, which is your thoughts. And, and I've found this really interesting on goal setting and how you kind of shift the conversation a little bit from goal setting, but goal crushing. And there's this debate, and, and I know where I fall in it, but I'll wait until I hear from you a little bit about goal setting being a little bit overhyped and the process of goal setting actually becomes burdensome and, and people become bogged down by the act of goal setting and they don't even get to actually work on their goals. Um, kind of walk me through what your thoughts are on the whole, you know, our, our goal setting and our process and, and how that relates to things. Yeah, so goal setting is an awesome topic, and I think I know where you lie. I'm, I like that you didn't say which camp you're in because I, I have a hunch where you're at, but I'm just going to be fully honest and transparent and seeing that there's a whole chapter in the book about it, I'll speak to, to what I believe and what I feel. So I agree with you that it gets very overhyped because it's really, at the end of the day, a very simple thing. Um, this is just off the top of my head, but I liken it to, and this is based off of a conversation I really had, the idea of a guy meeting a girl. So you can do all the things you want to do. You can have a three-piece suit on. You can have a $20,000 Rolex on, brand new Oxford shoes, the best cologne, the best hairstyle, the best whatever. But if you don't have the stones to walk up to that pretty girl on the other side of the bar and say, hi, my name's Brent. I'm a Gemini. Uh, I like pho soup or whatever your line is. Right. It's pointless. And I think the same thing is, is applicable to goal setting. It may not be the best analogy, but there's so much that gets caught up in the process of how you do it and when you do it and why you do it and where you do it rather than just flipping doing it. I guarantee you, and this is not, and, and I'm a married guy, so I'm out of that game. But I promise you, I don't have $7 million in the bank. I do not look like Brad Pitt. Maybe close, but I don't look like, <laughs> identically like him. I don't have a private jet, and I don't have all these other materialistic things. But I promise you this. I'm 44 years old. I am retired, and I am happily married. But if you put me in a sweatsuit, and you put me in the number one club in Miami, I don't care who it is. I'm going to walk up to that girl and I'm going to spit my game and I'm going to let her know this is who I am. And it doesn't matter if I get the girl. It's the fact that I did it. It's the fact that I took that 20 foot walk. I walked up, I smiled and I said, this is who I am. This is why I'm here because you can have all those other things, but if you're not actually going to execute, if you're not actually going to make that walk, and say, hi, I'm Brent, blah, 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 blah. What's the point? So at the end of the day, yes, you have to state them in the now. And people have smart goals and they have these goals. At the end of the day, write them down because your goals design your future. If you want something, write it down. Write 10 things that can, you can break down how you're going to achieve that. And it's laid out in the book. And for me, that's really the easiest way at looking at goals. Write them down. Write really detailed lists on how you can accomplish each one and get after it. Yeah, so that is, you're, you're spot on, and that's exactly where my, my thinking is. 
Awesome. I, I'm glad we agree. <laughs> I, I think, and it, it's funny that you mentioned, you know, everyone knows smart, like every business book, anything that involves the word goal or goal setting, smart acronym comes up. Um, and the problem that I've always had with smart was I don't think it went far enough, you know, great, specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, timely. That's all great. And so what I kind of added to it was EST. So, so when I work with a client, I'm saying, look, we're going smartest. And the big Ooh, one for me, I like that. And, and, and the big one for me is E is exhibit. All our goals mean nothing if we don't write them down and show them. If, if, if I write them in my journal or in my book and I never open that page up again, I failed the goal setting process. Um, and then the other two is S is for seek because a lot of times, and I didn't really realize this until I started working with clients on this is how many people think that goal setting and working towards goal is an individual thing. Like they're afraid to ask for help in obtaining these goals. And I'm like, no, like find an expert or find someone that you know that's been through this and talk to them. Like they have the experience. This is about getting your goals. This isn't about you doing it alone. And then the last one is the T for target. And I say, look, we, we got to target those roadblocks. I, I'm not an out of sight, out of mind type of guy. You're going to have bumps in the road. I'd rather know what those bumps are before we hit them and how we're going to get around them. And it really just changed how I did and work with goal setting because I just feel like so many people get bogged down. You know, they'll spend 12 hours figuring out their goals and never even start to work on them. And I, I think that's a really big disconnect that happens. Man, that's awesome. I've never heard that before. You are, uh, that single handedly, it, it's more of a deep dive on the smart goals. And you'll notice in the whole goal setting chapter in my book, I don't mention smart once. And it's not that I'm anti-smart or I don't agree with that philosophy when it comes to goal setting. I just think, uh, you know, for me, my approach, my mentor in, in the whole world of goal setting has been Brian Tracy. And um, I know everyone has their guru, everyone has their Yoda. And uh, for me, his book, Goals, is the best book I've ever read on goal setting. It's, it's absolutely phenomenal. And there's so many other people out there. I mean, Jack Canfield's book, The Success Principles, has some great stuff in there. Jim Rohn, who was Tony, Men Tony Robbins' mentor, has some great stuff. Tony Robbins has some great stuff. But at the end of the day, I mean, for me, probably the most important thing is writing them down. I mean, what, what we've learned through all Brian Tracy's decades and decades of research is roughly 3% of people write down their goals, which means the other 97% don't. And if it's not written down, I mean, is it really real? And uh, there's, a real, there's a real science behind that. It's, it's psychological and it goes very deep um, into writing it down and, and having a plan. And just like anything, whether it's the morning routine or, or goal setting or whatever, that map, that massive action plan, um, which I first heard about through Tony Robbins that I had never heard that, that term. And especially in the, in the army, we have acronyms for everything, but MAP, right. M-A-P, and then, you know, massive action plan and having one of those for a few different areas of your life that are so important, um, including the morning routine. And, and, and who cares what your morning routine is? I'm, I'm not telling you, you have to do mine. Um, I'm telling you, this is what, what works for a tremendous amount of successful and very happy people. 
And, um, you know, there's so many different morning routines out there. You've, I've seen them where they've got you taking a milk bath for two hours and then two hours of journaling, an hour of meditation. <laughs> and by the time you're done with your morning routine, it's, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. So it's what works for you what is effective, what is efficient, and what doesn't take you all day. At the end of the day, the first 30 minutes of the day is the most important. How effective and how efficient are you? And, and from there, you're going to carry that momentum into the rest of your day, into your work life, into your family life, into your personal and your friend's life, your business. Everything's going to be affected by how you start the day. And if you start the day like an efficient savage, you're just crushing it. Task completion, task completion. You take care of your body. You take care of your mind. By the time you walk out the door, there is no, you know, you're running out the door. You forgot to shower. You, you got a coffee stain already on your shirt. You're hoping to stop at McDonald's for some, some shitty fast food before you hopefully get to work on time. The people that are the most effective and the most efficient are the people that have a plan. And, um, those people 99% of the time are not racing out of the house like that. Their, their outfit for the day was laid out the night before. They know exactly what they're doing the first 30 minutes of the day. They know what they're going to do when they wake up. They know they're going to make their bed. They know they're going to drink water. They're going to do this or that. And it's those people that have those plans, those massive action plans, and it's written down and they know it front and back. It's those people that I find are the most successful and it's those people that I find are also the happiest and it's those people that I want to, I want to be around as much as possible. Yeah. I, th I think everyone's looking for this massive secret to success and however you want to define success, whether it's, you know, fame, fortune, you know, just the happy life. But if you really look at people that I think are successful, whether it's Tony Robbins or Gary Vee or Tim Ferriss, I, I I think it's pretty obvious what the common thing is. They all have a plan. I mean, anyone that follows Gary Vee knows that his hustle and his drive is insane. Like it's crazy, but it's just not, it's not just hustle. It's, it's laid out. It's planned hustle. He's not just out there grinding away, wasting time and seeing what sticks. There's a purpose to that grind and that pace. And I think that's where people lose sight of things. Uh, especially when it comes to like social influencers and, and I'm sure, I mean, I'm 46. So you and I kind of grew up in the same way. I mean, we were, we were still kind of young getting into technology and where we're at now. I don't think people realize like to have a real social presence, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or any of that, that alone is a grind and needs a path. And, and I think people look at some of these, successful things i think that it just happens but it doesn't and it's it's not because they, oh they were in the right place at the right time it's because they put themselves in the right place at the right time absolutely and, and absolutely. i think we just we just wake up and think it's going to happen without a plan it's, it's just not going to happen that way that plans everything and a couple i've i've actually been able to meet and spend time with two of those guys you mentioned i've met and been around tim ferris and i've met and been around Tony Robbins. And while I did not, you know, spend a whole weekend hanging it, hanging out and uh, drinking Coors Light with Tony Robbins, the small amount of time I, I spent with him, I got so much out of that. And, and these guys, you know, another popular guy right now that's really out there in the personal development space is Jocko. And, and last year I was able to spend a little time with Jocko here in Chicago and 
you know, just like my friend Jason Redman, another retired Navy SEAL that spent, you know, 20 years in the teams. These guys have a plan. It doesn't matter if it's Jason Redman, Tony Robbins, Jocko Willink, or Tim Ferriss. I can tell you right now, when they wake up, if you walked into their bedroom and, and said, what are you doing today? There is no, well, you know what? I don't know. Maybe we'll go to, there. <laughs> There's none of that. And, and it's not for everyone, but I can assure you all four of those guys, they know what they're doing with their 30 or 60 minute morning routine. They know when they're working out. They probably know what they're eating for the day. They know what their meetings are. They know what time they are. They know who they have to call back. They know where they have to go. And there's no getting around that. And it's non-negotiable with these guys. And it's, uh, and the proof's in the pudding. These guys are effective machines and it's, it's not gonna go away as long as they have those plans in place. And the crazy part about all of those guys that you mentioned is while they're all motivational and, and, and pretty good driving forces, they're all really different. Like I'm not going to go to a Jocko seminar and get the same experience that I'm going to get at something that Tim Ferriss is doing. And, and, and Tony Robbins energy. I mean, they're all high energy, but they're all kind of different, but yet they're all effective. And, and I think, again, it boils back to that whole, that, the whole plan and, and blueprint. Right. And I'm glad you said that. And, that. and I said that on purpose. I purposely mentioned, even though Jocko and Jason Redman, both retired SEALs, they, they, they're both speakers and authors, and they have a lot in common. But there's a very big difference between a Jocko or a Redman and a Tony Robbins. And there's a very big difference between those guys and a Tim Ferriss, even though they're all essentially practicing and preaching the same thing within the same framework, the message is completely different. You're going to get, like you said, the energy you get at a Tony Robbins event for three days, you're not going to get from Tim Ferriss. And that's nothing against Tim. Tim is like a monk. I mean, right. right. <laughs> I mean, his facial expression is not going to change if he's jumping out of an airplane, if he's surfing, or if he's sipping on green tea. His facial expression is, is pretty much the same with the short amount of time I spent with him. With Tony Robbins, I mean, it's infectious. You're, it's high energy. You have no choice if you're at one of his events than to get riled up. And then if you're at an event with a Jocko or a Jason Redman, it's that, okay, these are some legit Navy SEALs. Like, these guys are legit combat alpha warriors they are preaching leadership and they are practicing what they preach it's all the same thing it's just packaged differently and it's awesome that you brought that up because at the end of the day all four of those guys regardless of their backgrounds and they're very different have one thing in common at least they all have a plan from the minute they wake up yeah and 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 they all man if you could just morph all of them together it would be absolutely amazing. Um, <laughs> the, the, the tidbits that you get, you know, and, and you hit it spot on, like how you assessed all of them for me. Like Tony Robbins, I just want to spread it. You know what I mean? Like I, after I see him in person or I listen to him, I just want to go out and help everyone. And when I listen to Tim Ferriss, I want to do the same thing, except I want to see how little of it I have to do to do it. You know what I mean? Like, what am I wasting my time on that I can just get rid of in life and do what's important? And like the Jocko and stuff is just intense. Like some days there's just 
I need Jocko in the morning, <laughs> you, you know, oh, yeah. I, I, as opposed to yeah. whether I want a Gary V and like, oh man, I can't do this grind today. I, I need the Jocko and the intensity, but, but yeah, it all comes down to that blueprint and the plan. Yeah. And that's so true because I can remember after meeting Tony, I got, I was, I was very focused and you do, even though you want to help yourself, you feel compelled, you're more compassionate. You want to, you want to like help the world, like you said. And then after meeting Jocko last year, and we have some mutual friends, I was with my friend, Matt Davidson, who started Resilient Warrior Foundation. And we met up with Jocko at one of his musters and we talked for a while. And you can ask Matt if you ever talk to him. And I'm putting this out there because it's true. Before we left the Marriott in downtown Chicago, in the lobby, I knocked out 25 push-ups because it just felt like that. And I'm a military guy. It just felt like the right thing to do after meeting Jocko. And we're with Jocko and Dean Lister and we're talking jujitsu and he's like, Oh, I like you army combat engineers guy, combat engineer guys and blah, blah, blah. And we have some mutual friends and we had a wonderful conversation and we're walking out to go to the valet. And I'm like, dude, I got to knock out some push-ups." Like, and the cool thing about it was I didn't look out of place because it was 2000 people at that event. So people in the lobby doing push-ups was a normal for that weekend. And, uh, but it was, it was awesome. And the different energies you get from these different people is incredible. Yeah. I, I actually, I think it's awesome that you bring Dean into this because let, let's back up on that. Why Brazilian Jiu Jitsu? Like there's a million disciplines out there, but again, my feelings are there's something different about BJJ, right? Like compared yeah. to, whether it's karate, taekwondo, there's something different about Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Um, what, why and what? I mean, what, what do you think is the mindset? I mean, taking the combat side out of it, just talking about like the, the philosophy and all that, what makes that a big difference? It's a great question. And I have not been asked as many people that want to talk about jiu-jitsu that I've been asked. No one's ever asked me why Brazilian jiu-jitsu and I and it's one of the best questions I've ever got and I could talk about jiu-jitsu all day and I know we're we're going pretty long so I'll be brief I have trained other martial arts when I was a kid I did taekwondo I did some hip keto um, and at the end of the day the very honest reason is because it's the best and it's not the best for the reason most people would think Brazilian jiu-jitsu is here's here's the way I lay it out if you're going to be if your goal is to be the next UFC champion and you want to be a mixed martial arts fighter, you obviously have to know Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You also have to know other disciplines. You have to know how to box. You have to know how to kick and punch, which is probably the best thing for that is Muay Thai. You have to know how to wrestle. You have to have a good base on the ground and you have to be able to take people to the ground to apply that Jiu-Jitsu. So you have to know so many different things. That's why the best martial artists as far as MMA fighters, they're starting at six or seven years old. The days of starting to train when you're 19 or 20 are, are gone. You're getting high level Olympic wrestlers that during that time are already starting to train jujitsu and striking and all that. But if you're just a regular old person like us, and we're not trying to be a professional fighter, the idea of going out and trying a bunch of different things to me seems like a waste of time when I already know because it's already been proven. This one right here, 
for the 70-year-old man, for the nine-year-old girl, for the 42-year-old housewife, for the 50-year-old male accountant, it doesn't matter. Across the board, it wins in every category. It wins for discipline. It wins for the most practical martial art, meaning it actually works. You can go do all the fancy kicks you want and break all the boards you want. Boards don't punch back. Boards don't kick back. And you know, it's the most practical for women. It's the most practical for men. It's, it's a science-based practical martial art going completely off of reality, meaning how can the smaller person protect and defend themselves against the larger attacker and not just survive, but actually thrive in that situation. It teaches you how to be comfortable on your back. It teaches you how actual fighting works. The reality is 90% plus of street fights and bad situations end up on the ground. You can be Mike Tyson when it comes to punching, but I guarantee you as much as I love Mike Tyson and grew up watching him, that guy is going to be a fish out of water when he's on his back. And you can't punch that hard when you're on your back. It doesn't work that way. And I, for me, for my, especially for my stepdaughter, I want her to know and have that confidence that if anything ever happens and she finds herself in that bad situation, she can get out of it. You know, I want her to know that if that ever happens, she controls the situation. She's not the victim. She's going to be able to dictate how that situation turns out. And it's because of her training. And it goes far beyond the mats. It goes into your psychology, into your confidence, how you approach and how you look at life. Jiu-jitsu is human chess. It's, it's, it's psychology at the, at the highest level. It's problem solving. And that transfers over into your work life, into your personal life, into your business, into your money, into everything. And again, I could talk about this forever, but at the end of the day, there's a reason the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt is the hardest to achieve. On average, it takes at least 10 years because you actually have to put in the work. You can't do some katas and some forms and break a few boards and get a black belt at 13 years old. And I know that's harsh because I have friends whose kids are in that world right now. And the bad thing is, is when that kid, if he ever gets in a bad situation and runs into a, a high school wrestler or runs into some kid that's been training Jiu-Jitsu, <clears throat> it's going to be a nightmare of a day for him because he's going to think he can do that same fancy kick that broke that board and 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 that kid's going to end up getting hurt and, and the problem is is he has been given false confidence what's beautiful about jujitsu and what the vast majority of people that don't know about martial arts don't understand is the more the more you're able to fight the more you understand fighting the less likely you are to actually get into a fight because you have the confidence and you have the techniques to de-escalate that situation before it even becomes physical. But in the event that it does become physical and you're the 19 year old college girl and Billy's getting a little too frisky or a little too rough, or you're the woman in the parking lot that's getting mugged, or you're the guy at work that's getting bullied, or you're the kid on the playground in sixth grade and, and Tommy wants to take your lunch money. Whatever situation it is, if it turns physical, God help that person that doesn't know jujitsu. It's going to be a very long and a very painful day for that person. That is probably the best I've ever heard that put. Like that's absolutely amazing. And, and I hope people take that to heart and realize. <laughs> Thanks man. I appreciate you know, it. Like that, that, I mean, it, it, it just, 
for a moment that I totally just caught myself as a fan listening. You know what I mean? Like it, it and, and those are the moments I love because I'm a casual fan, but it, I realized that maybe I should dive a little bit deeper into this, you know, get off the sidelines a little bit on it. And, you know, I, we have like four, four places around me that I could probably go and, you know, I'll have to kind of look at it, but I was just curious about, you know, what your thoughts were. Cause I mean, obviously from, from a motivational and, and everything, you know, Bruce Lee has a million books out and a million sayings. And I'm not saying by any stretch of magnetization that Bruce Lee was going to be a pushover or an easy fight. Um, but I feel like often the fact that there's a lack of, there aren't too many movies out there about Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. You know what I mean? Um, we see a lot of like the karate kid and those types of movies I think it gets undershadowed the mentality and the mental aspect of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I, I just don't think it gets exposed enough. No, you're you're right. And 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 as amazing as those movies are, and I love a lot of those movies, like the Ip Man series on Netflix. My nine-year-old stepdaughter's been watching them with me because. I love Kung Fu. I love Wing Chun. I think it's a beautiful, it was Bruce Lee's first, first martial art uh, before he developed all these other things uh, that he incorporated and ended up, you know, basically developing Jeet Kune Do. Um, right. At the end of the day, a lot of these things are beautiful, but beautiful does not always translate into practical. And again, for me, and as a guy that up until a little over two and a half years ago, was never married, never had kids. I have a nine-year-old stepdaughter now, Emma, and she is, and I love my wife, <laughs> but Emma is the love of my life. This little girl makes my life complete, and, and I wake up every day with her at the forefront of my goals and my wanting to be a, a better man and a, and, a, and a provider and a protector and all that, and knowing we haven't trained this year with COVID, but knowing that after the new year, she will be back at jujitsu training and knowing that, you know, if she continues to train all the way up until she's 18, if something happened to me when she was 18, I got hit by a bus and I died. I would at least have some peace wherever I may end up knowing that she's got a solid 10 years of Brazilian jujitsu. And it's not just what she can do physically. It's all of the tools she has in her tool belt, mentally, psychologically, to take her through life, to help her with problem solving, to de-escalate, to deal with confrontation, to be a more humble person. I mean, it's not as bad with women, but us guys, our egos are, <laughs> I mean, they're like roller coasters and they're usually a bit inflated. And I can tell you, um, there is not a better ego humbler than jujitsu. And I have seen it. And you talk to anyone that's been training long enough, you'll see it where a guy shows up at the school and he's a bigger fella. He's probably maybe on some performance enhancing drugs. Uh, he looks like he spends a lot of time at the gym and he comes in and he's aggressive and he wants to be that alpha that he's always been because he's never really been tested and he's never been humbled. And usually what will happen especially if it's a good school, is they'll put some 140 or 150 pound blue belt or purple belt with this guy who looks more like a part-time accountant than he does a professional grappler or fighter. And they'll put this 150 pound accountant looking guy with this savage brute that just walked in. 
and within two or three minutes, that big guy is, is tapping. And tapping is essentially saying uncle, but in real world, it's saying stop. Stop because you can break my arm or stop because you can kill me or stop because you can choke me unconscious. And having to do that just once is a blow to the ego. Now imagine going to jujitsu class two to three times a week for two years before you even get out of the white belt rank and you're having to tap multiple times two to three times a week to a variety of different guys. And then God forbid you have to roll with a girl who's really good and you have to tap to her, then it's all over with. But, but this is personal development at its highest level. There's never been a bigger filter for douchebags in the entire world than Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. There's never been a better humbler of the ego that I've ever heard of or seen than Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And it's the guys and the gals that stay, that they get past that initial just deflation, just crushing of the ego, and they continue to go back. It's those people that you want in your circle. It's those people that are learning to deal with adversity, learning to manage stress, being calm under pressure. And it's those type of people that I really enjoy surrounding myself with. Wow. That there's some definite t-shirt slogans I think need to get made. The, uh, but you're absolutely right. The, the tough guy coming into the gym and getting humbled in front of everyone. They're either going to come back and train really hard because they realize what going, what happened, or they're going to move on and try and continue that fake persona of being the tough guy somewhere else. Yep. And I think that that happens a lot in all aspects of life. You know, we, we have that decision. We either come back and fight for it or we move on and things become a little shallow. Yeah. Um, let's close up with, with some final thoughts and talking about the book a little bit. Sure. Um, what led to the book? Like, did you, 10 years ago, did you think, you know what, I'm going to write a book or, or was there something that said, you know what, I need to put this all down and this is how it came about or, or what was the process for that? Yeah, I just wanted to, I wanted to put it out. I had been writing and I, uh, you know, I had written for some, uh, some military based websites or, you know, military themed uh, veteran based websites and uh, just you know, was always a big reader. I was, I've been obsessed with Hemingway uh, for a long time. And I really liked the, the prose and writing style of Hunter S. Thompson. And um, I, I was just always a big fan. And I think the competitive nature in me was always like, hey, I, obviously I, I'm not gonna be the next Hemingway, but I, I really wanna write a book. I wanna put it out there. And I think I was um, cognizant of the fact that I needed something to get to the end goal of being a professional speaker and eventually being a coach. And that book really lends a lot of credibility. It, it, I mean, it's great for a whole you know, plethora of reasons. I mean, it, it establishes some credibility in the marketplace, depending on what your niche is. It allows you, it, it's, it's essentially a massive business card. Um, it, it's nice to be able to have that on your resume. It's, probably the biggest thing for me, one was the writing process and how amazing it was, how much I learned about myself, insecurities I had to deal with and overcome. Um, just the whole book writing process was incredible and humbling and difficult. I mean, there's people out there that can write a book in, in a couple months. God bless them. It took me a couple years. And um, 
a lot of research. I'm a big research guy. I enjoy the research process. So a lot of thought went into the book. A lot of great people contributed to the book. And at the end of the day, you know, I, I put a lot of stuff in there too to, to help out a lot of people that um, may not know about certain things, can avoid some of the mistakes that I made and learn from some of the successes that I've had. And um, yeah, so I think that was the biggest thing. And, and obviously with we're going the coaching route. We're in the process right now with, um, I have a few very big name people uh, who I won't drop their names yet that are helping. And my wife, who should be a big name person, um, she's an awesome chiropractor. She's an awesome business owner and entrepreneur. And she is uh, really helping with the, uh, with the coaching program as well. So we're working on that, kind of the beginning stages, hoping to drop that sometime early 2021 and with the book as that credibility if you will um, in the marketplace doing a lot of radio and, and awesome podcasts like this it allows me to have a voice and get my name out there and um, really establish who we are and how we feel we can help Peter people better their lives that's awesome I'm excited to see how the uh, coaching side of things go and and definitely you know let me know when that happens and would love to have you back after that kicks off and, and talk a little bit about that aspect of it. Cause I think that's a whole nother can of worms, right? It's, and for me, that's been the challenge too. It's, it's been really good working with some clients and learning that skill. But when you actually start having to put, put the rubber to the road and, and, and make people better instead of telling them how to get better is, is a, is a challenge. You know, Absolutely. And, 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 and I, and you know, one of the things, and I hope it's okay, but you know, I'm going to definitely reach out to you because what you added with that EST to the smart se section of goals is, is fantastic. I've never heard that before. I've read, again, I'm not tooting my horn, but <laughs> I've read a shit ton of books on goal setting. I'm obsessed with Brian Tracy. I've, I've, you know, was mentored by him. And I, I put a lot of his stuff in, in the book that I kind of put into my own little easier to understand uh, terms. And I've never heard what you said. And that needs to be an important part of the coaching. And my biggest thing is that we have accountability. There are so many goal setting programs. There are so many coaching programs out there that have no accountability. And I think one of the biggest problems I had right when I got out of the army and, and probably for some years to come. And I, and I would, I would venture to say a large amount of veterans have this problem is asking for help in the, in the military. Um, especially, you know, again, my own experience being with a combat unit and deploying um, you're basically living that. Well, just, rub some dirt on it and move on. Right. Um, and even very complicated stuff that people don't talk about. Like when you get back from a deployment, you know, you've got to go get a psyche veil. You know, you got to go see the psych. And it's pretty much one of those things where it's like, Hey, we're probably not going to talk about anything because if you're, if you're attached to a combat unit, there are two words you never want to hear. And I ended up hearing them. Those two words are non deployable. That's like being a high level soccer player, but you can never go out in the field and play. That's like being the best looking person ever, but you can never go out and date. That's, I mean, wh whatever you want to call it, it, it's, it's the worst thing in the world. And I, I think asking for help 
is is a difficult thing and uh but it's not for me anymore and uh you really opened my eyes on that exhibit <laughs> seek yes. and target and I, I wrote it down i'm reading it right now and um i always want to be able to pull from people that are doing things at a high level and um uh, like I say, I'm, I'm probably, I have your number and your info. I'm probably definitely going to give you a call sometime in the next month or two and see if we can't have a, uh, a specific conversation about that. Cause that man, that, that stuff is gold, Dan. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and that's, and that's kind of what I'm learning. Like this network is amazing and it, it, it takes a while to get into it because everyone thinks they want to be a coach or a mentor and they don't realize the time and commitment it takes. But once you break through that and realize who the who the real people are and, and putting the time and the work in, it's an amazing network. So I absolutely, we'll have that conversation with you when you're ready, and, and, and hopefully we can develop some new stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And with that coaching, it's not just going to be Brent saying, okay, this is how you do your morning routine. This is how you do this. It's going to be completely opposite. It's going to be me and a tremendous team around me of very high achievers in many different fields and niches, giving their perspective on what has made them the best in that specific thing. And I think by going with that team aspect of this, it may be the Roger Up Academy, and I may be the author of Roger Up, but that doesn't mean you're not going to have amazing input from you know, people like my wife, people like Jason Redmond, people like Jocko Willing, people, you know, all these other people that are operating at a very high level and are able to come in on a monthly basis and talk to our network um, about leveling up and about becoming the best version of themselves. That's really the whole goal with this. And you're right. It's not something I've jumped into quickly. It's something that's we've been discussing for a couple of years and really having to put the planning in. And, uh, and you don't really get a second chance with that stuff. If you put out a big coaching program and you've got all these people involved, if it sucks, I've pretty much tarnished my name in, in the community as far as that space goes. So I'm certainly cognizant of that. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for people's time and their money. And I'm not going to waste either of those from anyone. Um, and I'm not going to waste my own time and money, my wife's, my friends, and all the people contributing. So it, it, you're right. It's a big on-taking, but um, I like the, the big goals, and um, I'm excited to, to hit it. Awesome. So if people want to catch up with you, get the book, get you on social media, what are some of the ways that we can point them in your direction? Yeah, so the book right now is on Amazon. You can get the ebook or the paperback version. Uh, if you want to connect with me, uh, you can hit me up on Facebook. That's where I'm usually at the most. Um, and that's just Brent Magnuson on Facebook. And then if you or anyone you know is interested in hiring me to come out and speak at your event or at your corporation or company, you can check me out at Eagle Rise Speakers Bureau. Uh, and yeah, that's, uh, that's about everything. <laughs> I'll make sure we put all those links in the recap and um, Brent, it's been amazing. Thank you so much. And, and I love coming into conversations where, you know, you and I have never really spoken before and, you know, by chance we've, we kind of hooked up and those are the conversations I like. You, you gave me so many tidbits and I'm sure the listeners will, will get a huge impact out of it. And I look forward to visiting with you again once uh, 
the academy starts up and, and see what's happening in the next couple months. Yeah, thank you so much, man. It was awesome. We, we both picked up some stuff from each other, and I'm hopefully optimistic that your listening audience picked up a, a ton of new stuff, and um, it's all about execution. So whatever you like the most from this podcast, I, I strongly encourage you to uh, not wait till Wednesday, not wait till next Monday, not wait till 2021. Get after it, make it non-negotiable, treat it like war, and execute today. Awesome. Thanks again, everyone listening. This is Dan Mickle, host of The Mental Cast with our special guest, Brent Magnuson, author, former uh, Army engineer, and speaker, all around great guy. So make sure you check out everything in the links and we'll see you with our next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Mental Cast. Please remember to follow us on all social media at 717Soul and drop by our Facebook and Twitter pages to leave us your comments and your show ideas. And don't forget, the official Don't Suck Performance Journal is now available for purchase online. Visit 717Soul.com slash DSPJ. That's 717Soul.com slash DSPJ for more information and to order your copy today. Have a great great day and remember don't suck